0: morning. Glad to see you guys again. Glad to be able to be back again with you guys, and uh, definitely appreciative of Devin standing in for me last month. And hopefully, he did a good lesson. Yeah. All right, good deal. He's a good young man, and I've really appreciated his heart and his uh, his willingness to grow as much as he has. He's a he's a very impressive young man, and I'm glad to glad to have him working with us. He was actually a good part of. Uh, as we mentioned a minute ago, uh, Mr. Carl's baptism. Mr. Carl is not a young man. He is a very older, uh, much much older fellow. Uh, we say that delicately. But, after his baptism, he said something kind of amazing. We were sitting around and we kind of, we, after his baptism, we, some of some of the guys that were there, we just left and went and got lunch. And he said, I have to start over like a baby now. I said, you are absolutely right. This is the moment when you get to grow up and you get to be born in such a way that you can um, grow into this faith and view yourself like that. and You'll you'll grow and you'll get stronger. Um, just as a note, Miss Susan made sure to let me know. Y'all's gospel meeting is the same day, the same Saturday, as the singing that I have at my house. Fortunately, it's early in the morning. And I know you guys normally get together after that and stuff like that. But you guys are all welcome to come to our house on the same Saturday at 3 o'clock. We'll have a singing in our house. We tend to host somewhere between 35 and 65 Christians, somewhere in that realm, and we always are glad to have as many voices as we can have in the house. Uh, and if any of you guys would like more details about that, please just feel free to ask me and I'll be glad to, glad to get that to you. Um, as we get started this morning, you're welcome to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and we'll get our beginning there here in just a moment. <clears throat> we'll get our start from there in just a moment. uh... So I'll title this lesson, Allowing God to Be Our Author. Uh, and I, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember Brother Jack Waterlander, but Jack Waterlander, when he was alive, he, remind, he reminded me of a story, at least when he obeyed the gospel, that he had never really heard lessons on authority and having God's authority to do our actions and having God's authority to, to act individually and act you know, within the congregation. And so those lessons really stood out to him and meant something to him when he was obeying the gospel. When he was first visiting a congregation, he was in Tripoli, Italy, Tripoli, no, Libya, Tripoli, Libya, when he obeyed the gospel, him and his wife. But it impressed him that the speaker was willing to talk about things like authority. It sounds like it's this humdrum discussion, but really in reality, in reality, it's, It's the thing that gives us our basis to move forward as Christians, to know confidently that we are standing for the right. Much like the song we just sung. Bible authority is one of those kind of interesting topics because when when we go into the world around us, we can see really quickly the differing views that are, are there from people who defy completely outright God's authority and the Bible that he's left for us. The people who are kind of indifferent towards it, kind of like we'll take it or leave it, or you know maybe there's some great writings in it, but really no connection that's there. To people like I hopefully believe, or like us, that we really want to respect God's work. We really want to know His dominion, know His sovereignty, and respect in such a way that we respect His authorship of this work. Sometimes we think about the Bible in such a way that we think about the 40 different writers of the Bible, and we think about the 1,600 years that it took to write it, and fail to see that God is writing all of it. If we don't see Jesus, we don't see God within the text of our Bible, then we're reading our Bible wrong. We've got to go back and see how God plays into everything that he's saying. Every word, every chapter has a story that we need to know. I'm going to start like this. A little backstory for me. I always like backstory for some reason. When I grew up as a child, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't raised knowing the Bible. I wasn't raised memorizing verses. My wife was. I wasn't raised around singing. Making melody with your heart. My wife was. I wasn't raised to go to Bible class and get the encouragement and the fortification that our young ones can. My wife was. I was raised, my mom and my dad really didn't care where I went to church. If there was a lady down the street going to church, I could go with her. If my friends were going to church somewhere, I could go with them. If a lady she knew from the restaurant was going to church, she would come pick me up and take me with her. But I remember things from that time period of my life. I remember a Baptist church that I went to at one point in time. That every Sunday, the preacher was so boring, I slept on the front pew. I remember... All of the festivities that the church would have, the Halloween, the the Christmas, the Thanksgiving, the Easter celebrations that they would have within the congregation. I remember when I was 10 to 14 years old, I was going to this Episcopal church. And I remember the priests would actually give you wine to drink for the Lord's Supper. And I remember that being the reason I wanted to be there. I remember... After the service at that church that they would serve wafers like vanilla wafers with lemonade and that being like, okay, the service has got to get over. We've got the wine now next it's lemonade. I remember those things. My parents really didn't care. They just knew I was going to church. They were indifferent towards my soul. I remember this Episcopal church. There was this building. There was this four-story building that they owned. That was like the place where you had Bible class. And I remember like one, there some, several times. I think it was through the year. Maybe it was like spring and summer or something like that. I don't remember what it was. They would have these things called lock-ins, and all of the group of like kids that were from you know 12 to 16 or whatever it was would come and stay at the building overnight. And the chaperones were supposed to be there to provide rule and provide discipline, provide, you know, a place of comfort, a place of goodness, wholesomeness. But I also remember they didn't really separate the sexes. And I remember things going on in the background the chaperones didn't know about. This all done within a church, within a, I'm going to put bunny ears, church remember later in my life, my dad was a a holy roller. He went to the uh, the Pentecostal-esque type of church. All the charisma that you want, all the songs that you want, all the band that you want. And I remember just from when I got a little older, getting to the point where I just believed if you acknowledged Jesus, really, that you were going to be saved. And then I remember those concepts being crushed when I started to read the Bible. Like everything that I knew was being undermined by the scripture. And it's like, wait, God, this this doesn't feel good. I don't like the way this feels. You can't be that judgmental God, but he is. You can't be that God that says these things are bad, but he is. You can't be that God that says these wholesome activities have a time and a place elsewhere, but he is. I remember thinking when I was being baptized, when I was coming to Christ, <laughs> that my parents had done such a disservice to me. And I remember thinking about them, my dad, who's Pentecostal-esque, holy Roller, my mom, really indifferent, but kind of a Baptist in the background, coming to the realization that they both are not in heaven. So when I say this is real, I mean this is real. I've had to accept that as a fact of life for me. But, I accept God's authority. And whatever he says is okay with me. And I want us all to kind of bury that within us, to have that foundation as a background for each of us. That whatever God says, his judgments are right. His judgments are what I need for salvation. However that conflicts with my life, I need to accept that. I had no fundamental anchors within the Bible when I met my wife. None. Today, I just really want to start the conversation. I don't want to go through fully the conversation. I think there's time to come. To flesh out what it means to have God's authority and to respect his authorship. Today, I just kind of want to start the conversation by looking at Genesis chapter 1. Let's realize that God is the author of life. Genesis chapter 1 proves that God is the author. And what does it mean to be an author? Be an author, I mean, if you think about a person with a book, the person uses their mind to write words down in such a way that others can understand it. It maybe draws pictures or colors pictures in a way that our mind can really receive and understand the message that's there. To author something is to communicate effectively with somebody else think about as we start at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 how God has communicated his creation to us it says in verse 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth realize God put into motion all the things that we see around us thousands of years ago and i'll say somewhere between 7 to 9000 years ago if you look kind of biblically chronologically God created the world. God set this creation in motion. In the beginning, meaning a time before time, space, and matter. You know, we have this, we have this, and we have this. But this was a time when that wasn't present. A time before time, space, and matter. A point outside of the natural realm, a realm that we've never really been a part of physically A before, before the before. Y'all catching where I'm going? God being outside of the creation. In the beginning, God. Who's present and existing in this realm. Before the universe ever comes into existence. Created. He made, He built, He designed, He formed, He organized, He produced, He shaped, He composed, He fabricated, He brought into being, He gave life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the universe, the things that we can look in our telescopes and see so far away from us. In the beginning, God created the universe and this little patch of dirt that we get to stand on. Verse 2. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered, was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. God spoke. We find in John chapter 1, these words were Jesus. God spoke. He communicated. Right? The natural world listened. And light came. In the beginning, God was there. He created the world. He spoke. And light comes. Let is not, the word let there is not like it's a suggestion, like... I hope light will just come into the world. It's not asking for permission for light to come into the world. He said, let there be light. It's a command to bring forth action. Let there be light. Light had not existed outside of God before then. We know in Revelation, God is light. And yet God's now providing light as a part of the creation. The response was direct, simple obedience. You see, the creation responds to God because it knows whose author it is. God is the author of these things. Light was not there, then it was. God spoke this light into existence. And then you know in verse 4 that he says it was good. This thing that God had created on the first day. He said it's good. Not bad. Not any other uh, uh, adjective that we could add in there. It's good. God created something that could be good. That can be perceived as good. That we can look at now and see is still good. He didn't create the sun yet. Remember, that's day four. The sun's not here yet. Light itself was good. It's amazing to me. To think about the way that God is communicating with us to let us realize at the very onset, God is there and He is making things happen with His mouth. Why is it that we struggle to obey God as the author? of life why is it that we at times struggle to listen to what God says and be directly obedient just the way the light was seeing that the natural realm immediately obeys his voice God authored creation he is outside of the creation you think uh, again like I mentioned a minute ago the book, right? he is writing the book that we live on He's writing the concepts that go around it. You think about the days as they progress. He brings the light, and then he separates the waters, and then he separates the earth from the waters, and then he puts vegetation on the earth, and then he puts uh, fish and birds in the the creation. Then he puts land animals in the creation, and then last, it's us. Everything is a stage to set up for man's dominion to be here. Everything's set up for us. Being outside of creation. He set in motion all the things that we see in the world around us. He was the author of things like DNA. Before man ever found it, he was the author of it. Seeds, procreation, physics, math, relationships, family, the food chain. An ability to even study the creation itself. And even, yes, in the seventh day, he created a thing called rest. If you were the builder of, say, like this thing, the Lord's table that we use, right? And you were the person who put in the work. You went and chopped down the tree and cut it and fashioned it and smoothed its legs around. And and then got some screws or some nails or some bolts, nuts, and tied it all together. and then set something on top of it and it collapsed. <laughs> Has the table done what it was created to do? You see how the role between the author and the created thing works? Is that we build, or God built for that matter something that was there for a purpose much like this table is. Now imagine If this table just all of a sudden decided to not obey its purpose. We would either chop it up and get rid of it. Throw it in the trash can. Or maybe even rebuild it to get it right. Doesn't that sound like us? That we have wrecked our lives. That we've done things that have been. uh, Let's say rebellious. Towards God. Since. God is our author, and since he has the right to be our authority, why is it so hard sometimes to listen to what God says and just simply do? I'm going to ask a question about a couple of verses here, and I want us to think about it for just a brief moment. How hard is it to be slapped in the face and then give the second cheek. Because God told you to do that, right? How hard is it to be hit in the face? Let me ask a little one that's maybe a little bit more prevalent. How hard is it to forgive somebody? Do we carry around the burden sometimes of not forgiving somebody for something that they've done to us? How hard is it to forgive it? Luke chapter 17, verse 3 says, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. How hard is it to forgive? But you see how difficult it is we make it. right. It's, it's when, when I put myself in the middle. That the author is no longer, well, excuse me, the created being is no longer accepting what the author has said. What about things like Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, where it says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you think that Jesus meant that? It's a hard saying and it's challenging, but I dare say that it's no different than Jesus or than God saying, let there be light and there being light. We need to be that obedient towards God. So why do we rebel so quickly? And the answer is, is because we are not humbled yet by God. This lesson is a lesson that's primarily, in a way, directed towards humility. And us recognizing humility as an important portion of how we need to operate. How we need to allow God to be our author. There's no other way to be told what to do and to be submissive to it than to be humble before the one who's telling you this. Genesis chapter 6, and I'm going to quickly go through a few of these just kind of examples. Genesis chapter 6, a story about the humble man, Noah, right? Who for a hundred years built an ark. You think that took a lot of patience. You think that took a lot of effort. Noah did this in verse twenty-two. He did all that the God had commanded him. In Genesis chapter twenty-two, verse three, the humble man Abraham gets up early in the morning, saddles his horse, takes his men or takes his young men, takes his son, goes and gets some firewood, and heads to the mountain to burn his son on the altar. God said, "Do." God said, "Let there be light." And to Abraham, there was light. The response was an immediate obedience. Daniel, and I'm going to get you guys to turn with me here. Daniel chapter 4. After Jeremiah. Try to find Jeremiah. It's usually one of those bigger ones that you can quickly find. After Ezekiel, you'll find Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4. I think there's an amazing story that if we can just grapple with Daniel's time in Babylon and we can see Nebuchadnezzar, I think the story a lot of chapter 1 through 4 is about Nebuchadnezzar's transition. At the onset, Nebuchadnezzar's proud. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he has some sort of control, puts himself in a place where he is God. In chapter 4, we finally see Nebuchadnezzar's fall. In chapter 4, we see where God finally gets to Nebuchadnezzar by humbling him in a way that he roams the earth driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of the heaven and his hair grew long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. If you want to follow with me in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar had to be humbled in order to be obedient to God's authority. Notice what it says. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay in his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can raise a challenge to God. And Nebuchadnezzar had to be humbled in such a way. To learn the lesson. Let's not have to be humbled in that way to learn the lesson. That when God speaks, we simply obey. God is the author. We need to note his authority. We need to listen to his judgments, his commandments, his inescapable conclusions. His consequences. That if we do right or we do wrong... Will we defy God like Nebuchadnezzar did for the first four chapters of the book? Or will we be submissive and respect God's authorship like he does here? Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself so far that he's saying no one, none can stay his hand. That we are as nothing. He finally realizes his position in life And that's nowhere close to God. He's speaking from such a high place that we need to just simply listen. So with that knowledge, what do I do? What do I do knowing that God created the world and that he can humble me in such a way that he can drive me to go eat grass like an ox? What do I do? Because we're Christians. And we've, in one way or shape or form of another, we've obeyed God through baptism. I'm hoping the majority of us here have. We've obeyed God, being submissive to him in such a way that we bury ourselves in Christ. But do we really fully accept his authority? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We, like his creation, simply are supposed to follow through with the words that he speaks, exactly as he spoke them. And as we're turning to the Colossians 1, Mark 4 to verse 41 is a moment in Jesus' life where he's on the boat. The sea is tossing, the the, the wind is raging. The disciples come to him, wake him up and say, hey, don't you see that we're perishing? And he just simply rebukes the wind and says, peace be still. Jesus, who was present at the beginning, has power over the creation. The creation listened to Jesus and was obedient. Matthew 28, we note that all uh, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And in here in in Colossians chapter 1, I think we get our answer. We get our answer to what do I do? As Paul is addressing this preeminence of Christ, notice the very beginning of this. He is the image of the invisible God. On the sixth day, man was created in the image of God. Here's Jesus being noted as the image of God. But he is the firstborn of all creation, the end of verse 1, or verse 15. For by him all all things were created in, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's us. He is our head. He is the thing that leads us. He is the thing that motivates us. He is the thing that moves us. If you were just ahead, you'd be dead. But Jesus created the church. And we are that church. We are the thing that, that listens to the body, or the head. But it's like your head, your mind, tells you when to breathe without you knowing. And then when you want to pick up your arm. It communicates it to your body. And when you want to walk, the brain communicates that to the body. And when it senses pain, that pain goes to the brain and then back down to compensate for it. Jesus is the head and we are the body. We are the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that everything might he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in the heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, this is us, pay attention. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in the body or excuse me, in his body of flesh by, the de- by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. When man sinned in Genesis, man received condemnation. It was, could be noted as, and it was bad. When man was created on day six, it wasn't just good. It was very good. Man sinned, separated himself from God, separated himself from the authority that God had created, the law. Remember, don't eat the tree. Place enmity between us, me, us, and God. But Jesus wants to present you holy and blameless as an obedient servant to God. To be once again called good before God. To once again be accepted by God. To once again finally be the light when God says, let there be light. If indeed you continue in the faith and stable and steadfast, not shifting in uh, shifting or not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in the creation under heaven, which and which of and wit of which I, Paul, became a minister. Not only does he want us to become holy and blameless at one. Moment of our life. Just, just when we come out of the water. He doesn't want just that moment. He wants everything about your life to be holy before Him. To be continue in the faith. To be steadfast. To be stable. To be grounded. He wants you to be the light. When He says, let there be light. That's what the author gets. Last passage. Well, not the last last passage, but close to the last passage. Colossians chapter 3. A passage that we, in a sense, we kind of instantly think about when we start talking about the subject of authority. And we'll come back to this. I'm not going to spend much time here. We're going to come back to this in a later, later sermon. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You notice how God, the author of life, wants everything from your life? Because you are words. You are deeds. Right? That's the thing that you produce. Individually, we think back to the slap I mentioned a minute ago, Matthew chapter 5. Individually, we have the responsibility to react in such a way that God would want us to react. Regardless of the scenario, in word or deed, do you think that when we get slapped that we're allowed to mumble something under our breaths? become defensive. You see, word and deed. You become obedient to God, that form of doctrine which he's taught. Word or deed. As a congregation, on the other hand, sometimes things are a little different. Individually, I can respond pretty quickly to something that's coming against me, right? Congregationally, typically, decisions are calculated. They're prayed over. They have time. But when things individually happen to us and challenge our faith, we have to be able to be responsive quickly. And I'll take you back to Daniel for a moment, just thinking. Remember when Daniel, remember when the command came out, Daniel chapter 6, No worshiping other gods. No praying to other gods. And what did Daniel do immediately? He went back to the place he prays all the time. Sits in the same tower with the same windows open to pray to God. He was still obedient to God. Regardless of what man comes up with, he was still obedient towards God. In the heat of the moment, he responded because he had already made the decision in his mind before the event. That I'm going to be obedient to God. Congregationally, sometimes things take a little longer. In word, in deed. What about our worship? Our, our, is our worship meeting the word and deed that God's desired from us? Does our worship on the first day of the week come from the heart? Or are we just singing words? to say words loudly in a different pitch is the word Are the words coming from our heart. When we're listening to the lesson, which I know is hard especially when I'm preaching. Are we listening to change our life and listen for tidbits that we can anchor our soul further with? Are we listening to the scripture and seeing where the scripture can modify my life to make it closer to God. What about church organization? Is our church organization according to the word and deed of God? And we're going to come back to some of these things. I'm just kind of briefly mentioning them. Do we have elders? Do we have men aspiring to become elders? Do we have teaching That is impressing the importance of elders. Do we really want to be organized according to the word and deed? That we're supposed to. Or giving on the first day of the week. Here's a good one actually. Think about this. Word and deed. When we give on the first day of the week as we just did. Do you give... Well, the word indeed is, God told us which day it was going to be, right? first day of the week we come together. That's the intention there, 1 Corinthians 16, I believe. The place, wherever that place may be, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be in a building. We could be collectively grouping underneath a tree somewhere. That could be where the congregation meets. But that would be the place that we do the collection. What about the attitude? You know, much like I was mentioning a minute ago about singing, you know, are we singing with our hearts? Are we giving with our hearts? Are we giving decidedly and purposefully as we have predetermined? It's not when I show up on Sunday and say, okay, how much money do I have in my it? Do I know what I'm going to give God because he's already given to me? Is that the first line item? As soon as... My budget comes in. So the first thing that I do is make sure that God gets his first. Are we cheerful about it? Is it something that you're thankful, that you're bountiful, that you're willingly doing? Or is it something that you're under uh, 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 compassion? There you go. Compulsion. Are you reluctantly? Are you covetous with your giving? When we do things in word and deed, we're obeying God from the mouth, from from the physical as well. What if all of a sudden, what if all of a sudden, the men of this work said, this congregation up in Atlanta is going to send us some funds. And we're going to use those funds to support the work here. What if all of a sudden, instead of giving on the first day of the week, we are now taking from somewhere else and saying it's funding the work here? What should we do? Because we know we can't find that concept in Scripture. And we'll talk more about that. We know we can't find the sponsoring church arrangement in Scripture. I would say we follow Malachi chapter 1's example. Who's going to shut the doors? Who's going to stop this mess? Because you see, we need to be about word. Indeed, we need to listen to what God says and just be simply obedient to the direction that he's given. If our hearts are truly humbled by God's word, if our minds are truly humbled by God's truth, then we'll accept whatever God's judgments are on any given subject and be willing to follow through with them to the extent that he wants us to carry them through. We need to be humble. We need to be humble in such a way that when God says, let there be light, we become the light. We need to be ready to accept God's judgments on everything. Turn one more time to Daniel chapter 4. I really appreciate Nebuchadnezzar at the end of Daniel chapter 4. though he was willing to be rebellious and and argumentative, if you will, though he was willing to abstain and, and say things good about God and not really follow through with them and become the hypocrite, though he was willing to try to sacrifice Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, really Daniel, though he was willing to throw under the bus anything from God, at one point in time in his life. Though he was willing to be prideful. Stubborn. Unyielding. Notice Nebuchadnezzar at the end. Of where we see him go. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just, And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Brethren, have we really been humbled by God? Because if we are, we will just simply obey what God says. And the questions that come up of authority, and do we have authority to do this, and not authority for that, or we don't really want to worry about that authority thing from God, those things go out the window. Because it simply becomes, I want to obey God in whatever way he needs me to. I want to know more of the scriptures. I want to read more so that I can know more how to please my God. Brethren, that's the way we need to be. We need to look at the example of Nebuchadnezzar and extol and praise our God for the things that he's done for us. To lower us down in such a way that we can be exalted again and again in the end. Brother, are we ready to go to heaven? Because you can't get there with pride. If any of us here this morning are suffering from afflictions that we just keep on harboring within ourselves. And that we don't want to really let go of. Because we're not humble before God. You know, brother, there's people here that are willing to pray for you. And maybe help you work through that. And to get past that, to be able to just simply be obedient to God, to be humble before God, to think like Nebuchadnezzar. For all his works are right and his ways are just. Repentance is so hard. But once you do, it's so easy. Because once we repent, it's so easy to just follow what God says. We can be built back up with God. If there's any here that's fallen victim to any kind of way and needs to be restored in any kind of way, whether or not it's baptism into the body of Christ or being restored to the church through repentance, please come forward as we stand and sing the song that has been selected.